Hey there, Heritage friends and family and guests. We are so glad that you have joined us for worship today. No matter if you're connecting on TV, online, maybe you're there at Kiwani, we are so glad that you are with us today. It promises to be a phenomenal time of worship, of connecting with one another, engaging with the word, singing. It's just going to be a phenomenal time. So we are glad that you are here. We're continuing in our Unfiltered Family series, and this is week three, and the last couple of weeks have been phenomenal messages. And so if you haven't been journeying along with us, or maybe you're trying to understand maybe what all of this is about, uh, I'd really encourage you to go to heritageqc.com watch, and you can see some of these past messages and services because uh, they've been really impactful for me and for so many others. But today, we're going to be stepping into a conversation about finances. And I know some of you right now may be reaching for the remote or trying to look for that pause button, but I really encourage you, don't miss this. This is not a conversation about how to get more of your money for anything that we are doing. The whole conversation is about finances and really that important piece of our lives and how we can best position ourselves and our finances for the best uh, outcome for our families and for those around us. And so I really encourage you to continue just to stay connected as we have that great conversation. Now, many of you uh, have been hopefully maybe watching the Olympics. Uh, it's a great time of seeing all of the great athletes from around the world coming together, uh, putting everything they have on the line, on the track, on the court, whatever sport you may be into, uh, to see how best they stack up against the rest of the world. And so I hope uh, you've been enjoying that as I have. Uh, but as I've been watching these athletes give everything that they have, uh, it reminded me of this verse in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I see these athletes who have given so much all of their lives towards this end goal. And that is the call, I think, for each one of us to throw off everything, to continue to pursue Jesus, to continue just to say, I am here for you, God. I want to understand what you have for my life, and I want to give everything to you. So let us just throw off everything we have here today. Let us let go of the worries of the different things happening in the world around us and focus in to the author, the perfecter, the one who begins and who finishes our faith, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's worship him together.
of the breakthrough. God of the breakthrough. Nothing can stop you. Let your freedom reign. You're falling. You're falling now like heaven's rain.
speak Jesus. You know, as we've been leaning into this conversation about family and who God is inviting us to be in our families, however that's defined, whatever it looks like for us. And even as we just sang, where we're declaring the power and the life of Jesus into those family spaces, I'm reminded that when Jesus spoke to his father, our father, God, he had a close-in relationship. He, in fact, called him Abba Father, Daddy Father. It's an invitation and a reminder for me and for you that whatever our earthly family looks like, we have a Heavenly Father who invites us into so much more, who cares for us, who desires more for us than we can imagine for ourselves. In fact, that's how Scripture describes some of God's intent and invitation for us. So I'm not sure what it is that you're facing this week or this month or what's going on in your own family dynamic, spaces where you feel super excited about what's there, some spaces where maybe you're grieving a bit. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture that actually is a father speaking to his son. And I believe it's the voice of God speaking to us as his sons and daughters. This is what he says in Proverbs chapter four, verses 11 and following. It says, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. In just a few moments, we're going to be pressing into God's word together as Pastor Josh unpacks some great teaching for us. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would be led by our Father down the paths of wisdom and that we would hold on to this instruction, understanding it is the way of life for us. In fact, I'm going to pray for us now and invite you to bring your own petitions and needs before our Father who cares so much, even as we prepare to press into this time of teaching together. So let's pray. Father, you are a good Father. Your word reminds us that you lead us down the way of life and wisdom. And for my friends, I pray that you would allow them to entrust you with all of those spaces in their lives where they need wisdom today. In fact, we lay them before you right now. We ask you to speak to us in terms of what it looks like for us to be faithful in our families, whatever that looks like, where we're celebrating, and where we're grieving. And we lay those things before you right now too. And finally, we ask you, lead us in the way we should go. Show us the path of life through the teaching of your word. Allow us to be open and honest with you and with ourselves as you speak to us about us and our relationship with you and one another. Lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. I started to notice the problem one day when I walked outside and I saw my neighbor's new car. That was a real wake-up call for me. Who knew that inside that small box was the very thing I had been looking for this whole time? The illusion of having everything that I want. 
I used to ask my friends how their kids were so well behaved. Now my friends are coming to me with the same question. But I'll never tell. Why see life for what it is when you can see it through the life filter? Well, hey, friends, I am so glad that each of you are plugging in and connecting with us today. Uh, regardless of where you're watching this from, I am so glad that you've taken time to worship. And, uh, and we just continue to pray that God will do something great in our time together. And we've been in the midst of a series called Unfiltered Family. And it's been such a meaningful series to me personally so far. Uh, both of our communicators so far in the series have done great job. Pastor Jeremiah launched us into the series two weeks ago. And then last week, Pastor Steve Norman did a great job of continuing the conversation. And I just want you to know, if you missed either of those two messages, you can check those out. You can get caught up at heritageqc.com and you can click the watch button at the top of the screen and get caught up uh, in this conversation that, that we're gonna be having for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so unfiltered family, that's kind of where we're going today. I've been tasked with continuing this conversation around the topic of, wait for it, wait for it, drum roll, finances. Yeah, we're gonna just pull the Band-Aid off quickly, right? We're gonna talk about money today. And, and right up front, I, I should mention that, that I appreciate the verbiage that we've chosen for this series title. And when we talk about unfiltered, that, that it's a very appropriate kind of word to use in an age where it is extremely easy and tempting to sort of curate the, the perfect stories and the perfect images to post on social media in order to project a certain image of how your family operates. But you should know that I have a 15-year-old son who for years has served as our personal family unfilter on Facebook. And what I mean by that is that he, for many years, has refused to take a decent family photo. We ask him to smile, he will not smile. Doesn't matter what you say or what you do, he just stands there with, with no expression, maybe sometimes even worse. But, but he, just, he just won't comply with the request. In fact, consider Exhibit A from a few years ago. Yep, no smile. Consider Exhibit B from this past year still no smile. So in early June, we as a family, we got to take a trip that we had been kind of holding out on for a long time. We were able to go to Florida, go to Disney World and, and check out the Star Wars land and, and all that stuff. It was a great trip. But early on in that trip, we discovered that my son had made a financially binding contract with my mom. And she had texted him early on in this trip and she extended this offer to him. She said, Aaron, for every picture that you, or for every picture that is posted on Facebook by your mom that has you legitimately smiling in it, I will give you $10 up to five pictures. So 50 bucks is what she was offering for this compliance. And so we strategically picked all of our spots. We, we got pictures at all of the, the four Disney theme parks. We got a really great one at the beach. In fact, consider Exhibit C right? This is a much better picture. But I want us to do a little bit of math here, okay? Because let's be generous and estimate that it took Aaron about 10 seconds per picture to offer his smile. That, that's a working wage of $60 a minute. 
and, and about $3,600 an hour. I mean, that, that's not a bad first job. I, I think I made like $7.50 in my first job. And that, that's, that's, that's a good gig. But then there, in the background, there's my daughter, Emily, who has always been compliant. She's always been respectful. She's always been helpful and kind. And by the way, has this light up the room kind of smile. And she's watching all of this take place. And she's like, okay, where's my 50 bucks? I've been lending my smile to pictures ever since 2002 with no complaint. Where's my reward for that? So, so, so there you go, right? Family and money, always a great combination, right? Maybe not, maybe not always. So, so that's our journey today, right? And, and, and we should just go ahead and own, right from the very beginning, the complexity of talking about finances. That, that finances can be triggering, it can be traumatic, it can be emotional. In fact, I just read an article this week written by Les and Leslie Parrott, who are marriage experts. And through their research and through the conversations that they've had, they put finances in the top five trigger, kind of tension triggers in a marriage, top five. That's not really a surprise, but it's eye-opening for us to understand. And, and look, it doesn't matter if you're married or single. It doesn't matter if you have kids, grandkids, no kids. If you are currently breathing, finances and money have ripple in your life. It's something we all have to navigate and deal with. And I know that for many of us, we, we sort of put finances on, on sort of a list with politics and sex as taboo topics. We should not talk about this. And I get it. Some of you might even be feeling like, you know, where, where's the nearest exit? Or, or how, can I turn, how can I turn this off as quick as possible? But I want to just encourage you to lean in. Because if money is something that touches all of us, then I think it's worth exploring exactly what God has to say about it. And that being said, I, I want to own just one other thing before we really get going. And that's just to say, I'm not a financial expert. I'm, I'm not a financial planner. And so what I'm really hoping to do is to kind of provide a theology of money and to give us a framework from which we can start taking steps and making decisions with our money that, that will really honor God. So allow me to start by addressing two myths that I've seen attached to money, two kind of spiritual myths that I've seen attached. And, and this I've seen kind of attached throughout church history. I've seen, I've seen it just in church in general. These two myths, I think, are, are as I look at them, they're, they're sort of situated in opposite poles. They're kind of opposite reactions from one another. But I think it's important that we avoid either end of this spectrum. So here's the first myth, that, that money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. Now, I hear this a lot. Maybe many of you have as well, but it's actually a misquote from the scriptures. The actual statement given by Paul in 1 Timothy goes like this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, this might seem like a pretty small and insignificant nuance, but, but listen, the implications are actually pretty big. See, it's, it's either on one hand, it's either money itself is completely evil and should be avoided at all, you know, all costs, or as Paul writes, it's actually the obsession of money that can lead to evil. It's the love of money that can lead to problem things. And, and there's a huge difference in this. And it's important to resolve because there's been a segment of people in church history that have taken the approach that 
all money, all possessions, all material items, all of those things are just inherently evil. And so they determined that, that the earning of money, the collection of items, all of that should be avoided. And, and in fact, poverty can be looked at like a virtue to pursue. But that's actually not what Paul is saying here in this passage. He's stating that, that we can fall so in love with the earning and hoarding and spending of money that we actually turn all of this stuff into an idol. And it's an idol that can become all-consuming. It's an idol that can tempt us to trade character and honesty and even relationship for the sake of earning more and getting more. Now, Paul is not saying that, that money itself is bad. And as such, that the, the, he's not saying that earning money is bad. Learning how to make money work for you, that's not bad. Providing for your family, that's not bad. Buying a couch, going on vacation, those things aren't bad. Listen, money itself is neither good nor bad. It just is. Like so much of our life, our response to things determine whether we're engaging with it in healthy or unhealthy ways. It, 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 this is true of sex, of anger, of food, of hobbies, of a variety of other things. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. But, but all of those things can be abused or misused or set up as more important than God and the life that God is calling us into. And so, so that's kind of the first myth, that, that to say that money itself is the root of all evil, that is an untrue statement. But now I want to take you to kind of the opposite end of the spectrum and, and, and kind of deal with a second myth that I've heard throughout my time in ministry. And I would sum this up by saying that the myth is monetary wealth is a sign of God's blessing. I've heard this communicated or, or at very least implied hundreds of times in my own ministry career. I've, I've heard this way of thinking called the prosperity gospel. And the gist of this argument is that God will bless the faithful with everything that they want and need, specifically in the realm of finances. And of course, the flip side to this, and it's sort of the dark shadow side of this, is that if your bank account isn't big enough, then it's indicative that your faith isn't big enough. And friends, listen, oh my goodness, that is dangerous theology. That is shaming theology. And when you look at the wholeness of the scriptures, it is hard to make that argument stick. That God uses both people with means and without means to do really amazing things throughout the entirety of the scriptures. He, he used wealthy kings and he used poor nomadic prophets. He used white collar tax collectors and he used blue collar fishermen. I mean, if wealth equals God's blessing, friends, it sure doesn't seem like maybe Jesus would have been blessed because it sure seems like he lived a pretty simple and frugal life, making ends meet, certainly but, but never having surplus. The, the, the prosperity gospel kind of reminds me of, of treating God like this genie in the bottle and, and looking at prayer like it's getting three wishes and, and just getting whatever you want. It's interesting that Jesus makes a statement uh, in, in his Sermon on the Mount uh, that, that I think connects to this, kind of indirectly connects to us, but he makes the following observation. He says, for he, speaking of God, he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now listen, in context, he's not even talking about money here, but the principle's helpful for us. 
that good things happen to both good people and bad people, and bad things happen to both bad people and good people. And connected to that, connected to that is to say that there are some wealthy people who are believers and some who are not. And this is true all the way down the economic scale. It is untrue to say that monetary wealth is a sign of God's blessing. That's just not the way that God operates in this world as demonstrated throughout the entirety of the scriptures. Now listen, why do I share this? Like what, what's the big deal with this? And I think it's, it's mostly because it's somewhere between these two myths that we need to journey and walk as believers, that we're not called as a general principle to intentional poverty, particularly as, as we understand that money itself is not evil. We're certainly called to sacrifice, but I don't think we need to be allergic to finances or money. We should also, on the other side, not make the mistake of assuming that monetary wealth is a sign of blessing because that sort of actually elevates money and finances to to almost idle status. And so the sweet spot is in between all of this. We don't have to disparage money, but we we should not elevate it as an idol either. So I, I suppose that I personally would sum up the sweet spot, at least practically speaking, by encouraging us into two things, encouraging us to be intentional and encouraging us to be generous. I uh, recall reading a sermon given by John Wesley way back in the 1700s, and he, he makes this statement. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And he was asking those early Methodists to be fiscally responsible, but to be fiscally responsible with an eye towards being generous. In fact, he made a statement that he thought some of those early Methodists were really good at those first two points, but they had forgotten the third one. And, and it talks, you know, he talked about the importance of, of making sure that when you're earning and saving, that you're, you're always keeping an eye towards that generosity piece. So let me, let me kind of break that down, we, those two words. Let me start with the word intentional. Now, I know the word intentional has been overused over the last five, 10 years, but I really do think it's right as it relates to our money. I, this series is called Unfiltered, right? So, so allow me to be very unfiltered with you, very honest with you about my own story. Melissa, my wife and I, we, we made a ton of financial mistakes in our 20s. I mean, really, if there was a mistake to be made, I feel like we made it. We, we got into some pretty significant credit card debt. We took out two pretty ill-advised loans, and we just didn't understand how money worked at all. We just didn't, have, we just didn't know. And in, in our early 30s, we started to really look for help. We got very intentional about looking for help. We took a Ron Blue class. We took a Dave Ramsey class. I started reading books on the topic. We, we reached out and visited a financial planner. And, and through all of these various pieces of advice, we started to kind of scale out and stick to a monthly budget. We started to be strategic about debt repayment by using kind of Dave Ramsey's debt snowball method. We created an emergency fund, and we just started working steps towards financial freedom and health. And along the way, when we didn't know something, we just started to ask for help from people who knew more than us. And I I remember shortly after making these significant changes in our own kind of financial world, telling people that it it actually felt like both of us had, had gotten significant raises when in fact neither of us were earning any more money, what had changed is that we were way more aware of what was coming in and what was going out 
and what it was going out for. We were working the plan. We were tightening our belt and, and there was less impulsive spending that was happening and it helped us to be way more intentional. Now, listen, I understand that every single person who is hearing me talk about this, you guys are, you're all in different financial places. So hear me on this. I am not trying to be specifically prescriptive here. My encouragement to you and, and really to, to all of us is that we just become more aware and more intentional of how we are leveraging and caretaking our resources, that, that you would journey with Holy Spirit and ask him to, to sort of give you discernment and wisdom and that you would just take the next step, whatever that next step needs to be for you. If you're in a bind right now, like, like we were, I want you to understand there is no shame in asking for help, to ask to, to be mentored by someone who knows a little bit more about money than maybe you do. For, for some of you, maybe the next step is just simply set a budget. Watch, watch the money that's coming in. Watch the money that's going out. Working a debt plan. Regardless of where you currently are standing financially, just my encouragement is take the next intentional step towards a healthier approach to finances. Now, the second word that I would encourage us to lean into is the word generous. I think a great framing story is found in Luke 21, verses one through four. Listen to this, this is great. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. I uh, remember learning about the story in Sunday school as a kid and always being drawn in by that, gener by that generous spirit, that demonstration of sacrifice. And, and it's really a great example of how Jesus would surprise people by his observations and by his teaching by sort of flipping expectations and forcing people to look at something through a different lens. In this case, he wanted them to look less at the total amount, uh, total amount given, and much more at the ratio. The, the, he praised the widow for her extreme form of sacrifice because she gave 100% of what she had. Compared to, you know, the other, the other people might have given way more than her in terms of just the actual amount, but the ratios were way off and the sacrifice level was minimal compared to what the, the widow gave. And it's actually a great reminder for us in the same way that, that Jesus was, was generous to us by giving all of himself so that we might be saved. So we are called to live lives of radical generosity, choosing to be generous Friends, it's, it's actually not a financial decision first and foremost, it's a spiritual decision. It's that spiritual decision working with Holy Spirit. I, every January, I, uh, I have this ritual where I go to our kind of, we have a cabinet where we keep all of our financial documents and I kind of go in and I clean that out. I, I shred documents that are old enough to, to be shred, creating space for the next year. And Melissa and I will sort of go through all of our receipts and put some in like our, our tax folder so that we're ready for taxes when, whenever we get going on that. And just in general, we spend, we spend a few hours just cleaning up all of our documents. And, and every year that I do this, 
I get to revisit sort of all of the things that we have purchased as a family over the last year. And sometimes the receipts would, would sort of bring back a good memory, right? Maybe we went to a ball game together or, or, or maybe there was a, a holiday meal that, that, you know, a receipt sort of reminded us of a good time with family. And then there's other receipts that would remind you of painful times. Maybe it's a, a hospital receipt or a medical bill or, or, or something where you just remember that there was pain in that moment. Some, restre- some of the receipts that I interact with lead me straight into buyer's remorse, right? You kind of ask, what? I, I spent that much on that thing that is already broken? Usually it was like some plastic thing that we bought the kids when they were younger. Why did I waste money on that, right? That, that's that the buyer's remorse would set in. But, but these beginning of the year sessions remind me that I, I have enough means that I, I rarely need to say no uh, on, something, on purchasing something that I need or even want. And, and often God will check my spirit in those, in those moments of, of kind of an audit. And, and it turns into this unexpected spiritual exercise where he asks me to evaluate my own sacrifice level. And so I'm forced to ask the question, how do I respond in obedience when God nudges me to give? When, when I look at my total expenses and, and all of those receipts, is it clear that I am putting his purposes first in my life? Do I give generously to his kingdom? Here's a question. If, if someone were to look through all of my receipts and expenses over the course of a full year, would they actually see Jesus in that? And would they see radical generosity? Would they see sacrifice? It's always a sobering exercise. Sometimes I discern a lack of purpose over the course of the last year. And sometimes I I could maybe point to a celebration moment where I did the right thing. But, But it seems like God always uses that annual review as a way to get my attention. And, and in turn, I would, I would sort of spend some of those questions to you and, and to consider your own life, your own resources, your own expenses and receipts evaluation kind of a thing, and, and just simply ask Holy Spirit to lead you in your next step of obedience, right? Where, where can you demonstrate a more radical generosity? Where can you leverage your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure to, to help the kingdom for greater impact? Friends, uh, Money is never an easy topic, right? I mean, taking a spiritual view of our resources, that's never easy because it calls us to relinquish control. And we just, oh my goodness, just naturally fight against that as humans. But at the end of the day, it really is, it's a matter of trust and perspective as we seek to spend and invest our lives into the things that will actually last for an eternity, And so my prayer for you, my prayer for for me, is that we begin to leverage our resources, but not idolize them. That we would seek to be intentional about our resources, but not not flippant or careless. Let's seek to grow our muscles of radical generosity so that the world might see and experience Jesus through the way we steward and invest our resources. Would you pray with me? Lord, we approach your throne today with differing financial portfolios and different wages and different ways of seeing and interacting with with money. 
but we're all impacted by finances. So Lord, help us to, to find that sweet spot of obedience and that as people watch our lives, may they see that we are not controlled or obsessed with money, that money is not an idol for us, that we're not allergic to it or, or reject it, but, but rather that they would see that we are people led by you and your purposes. So help us to trust you and to incrementally step into fuller obedience in a, a more radical form of generosity. Jesus, you demonstrated the most radical form of generosity and love the world has ever seen when you gave your life on the cross so that we might be saved from our sins. Help us, Lord, to model that same courage and love and generosity that we saw in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Jesus, you brought heaven down. Your sin was great, your love was greater. And what could separate us now? My esposo su nombre. My esposo su nombre. Su nombre Nada se igual a Él Majestuoso su nombre No hay otro nombre Majestuoso su nombre
needed rescue My sin was heavy But chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter I was an orphan But you called me a citizen of heaven When I was broken You were my healer What a glorious day it has been as we have worshiped together, learning what God invites us into as we look at what it meant and means to invest in ourselves and in those around us. If you haven't already, I would really encourage you to step into and click on to heritageqc.com. It's a website for our church that gives you all sorts of resources to be able to invest again into yourself and to those around you. You can find note guides with discussion questions so you can dive deeper into the content of our messages. There's resources for your family, for kids of all ages. There's places where you can give. There's places to connect into group life, all sorts of different ways so that you can grow in your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You can find all of that and more also on our Church Center app. The heart behind both of those places is to help you connect to God, to others, and to your purpose as you continue to chase Him in the places that He has invited you towards as you invest in yourself and those around you. Have a great rest of your week.